Spencer, come on in, baby. You hit a guy, and he still I didn't listens hit to him. the show. Let's not discuss that publicly. <laughs> Magic does happen. What? Utah kind of feels like two wins. Going to have to reel it in a little bit. Yeah, that's elite. But now we can just take that sound by, right? Yeah. Stella Azura Academy on Thursday. Stella! This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline, first guest of the day, voice of the Utah Utes on ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City, Utah. His name is Bill Riley. Bill, welcome back to the program. Hi, guys. Bill, uh, you and I had a fun back and forth yesterday. You put out a question of the day that got a lot of run and a lot of response. <laughs> I fanned the Flames. I don't think I uh, intended to fan them so highly, but, hey, it happened. Uh, and it deals essentially with how one defines competitive. So let me ask you this. If, let's say, BYU in the 1980s, which had a 9-1 and record over a 10-year span against Utah, did you did or would you say it was competitive back then, even if some of the games were close? How do you define competitive? No, okay. you, comp- you define competitive in a rivalry series by wins and losses. Nobody remember if you are judging games by margin of victory, you're looking for moral victories, and I'm not a moral victory guy. I judge competitive series over the course of time, especially in a rivalry, by wins and losses. And that's why I brought that question up yesterday for those that didn't <laughs> didn't jump on. And by the way, thank you, Spencer, because I think you, you, you I don't know that you got me any more followers, but the, the poll, once you decided to chime in, uh, shifted quite a bit. But no, I, I, asked the, I, I asked the question yesterday, and I, and I do mean this, and it isn't just based on the game this year solely. Um, Utah's won 13 of 16, seven in a row since joining the Pac-12 conference. And I talked to a, a college football analytics guy, a guy named Dave Bartu, the other day on my radio show. And, and I, I, I just asked him about Utah. And they, their, their recruiting and player development trajectory has been on a, on a steady climb since Kyle Whittingham took over, especially the last few years. And then I asked him about the in-state teams, Utah State and BYU and Bartu. I don't know what it was, but he went off and he basically pointed out that analytically BYU is recruiting at an all-time low in the program, their player development and things like that. And so I was just talking about it. And and I, I brought it up yesterday because historically Utah has the upper hand in the rivalry. They've won 64 of 99 matchups. And seven in a row since the split in the Mountain West, and 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 I just I've looked at it, and I you know the programs have gone in different directions, and Utah's won quite a few in a row, and they've got a recruiting advantage, no honor code, Power Five conference, things of that nature, and BYU's at a, at a bit of a disadvantage, and so I just simply asked, will the rivalry ever be consistently competitive again? And I probably should have thrown the caveat in. Not the games themselves, but over a span of time, will there ever be a decade like, say, the 90s or 2000s where it was 5-5? Five and five? Sure. You know, will, will there ever be a time where it's 6-4, and 5-5? Five and five? Because, you know, that, that's, right now that's not where we're at. And, you know, the poll came out almost a dead heat. It was slightly in favor of the yes, and I think 
because of Spencer Linton and <laughs> many of his followers <laughs> jumping on here. But it, but but for me, unless BYU makes some institutional changes, i.e. the honor code, or Utah just bottoms out, say Whittingham retires and whoever they hire does a terrible job, I don't see it changing anytime in the near future. So that, that was my that was my two cents worth yesterday. Lots to discuss within that. Um, so in terms of the argument that, okay, competition, competitive is defined by wins and losses. Do you feel like then, because Washington is 6-1 and one versus Utah in the last seven um, matchups, that that series is not competitive as well, even though yes. the margins yeah, have become yeah. closer? See, you're, you're, you're now switching the narrative, Jerem. You are, you are taking it away from the BYU-Utah question <laughs> To try and you're trying to craft the narrative in a different direction. No, no, no. I'm talking about Utah, wins and losses. But, but I don't think no. But, but I don't think Utah has been competitive because they're one in six against against Washington. That that's my point. I judge games uh, over a period of time since they joined the Pac-12 conference. They've not been competitive because they've won once. That's the hurdle Utah's got to get over this year if they're going to meet the goal they want to meet, and that's win the Pac-12 championship. It doesn't matter that they lost on a fluke play last year. They still lost, and, that, and as a result, they weren't Pac-12 champions, and, and, and Washington was. It doesn't matter that they, they lost up at Rice-Eccles in a close game, and they, lost it. They, they still lost the games. So you so don't feel the, like it was the, competitive but, but the, even but though it's USC, one play away? The USC series has been very competitive. Utah's won in Salt Lake. USC has won in, in Los Angeles. So that, that series has been competitive since they joined the Pac-12 Conference. So, Bill, is it fair to say then that individual games within their own right can be competitive, but if you judge it based on a series of games over a number of years, that that too can have its own definition of competitive? No, that, that's exactly what I'm saying here. I'm judging series of games. The, the, the series between Utah and BYU has been one-sided in favor of Utah over the last 16 meetings and, and over the last seven since they split from the Mountain West Conference together. And my point is Utah has some built-in advantages right now, being a Power 5 school, not having any real limitations on the type of athletes and players they bring in from a recruiting standpoint. They're not playing on the same level as they did maybe a little bit more when they were both Mountain West Conference schools. So I'm judging it by the overall competitive nature of the series, not the games themselves, because we all know that the games have been close. And by the way, guys, I'm not saying that BYU can't and won't beat Utah ever again. Sure. I'm saying over, say, a decade-long span, I'll be really surprised unless something changes drastically in one or both programs, if the games are 5-5 five and five or 6-4. and four. I think Utah's got a definitive advantage from a talent standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, from a lot of different standpoints that BYU doesn't have right now, that if something changes by chance, well, that could level it out. But as things are right now, I have a hard time seeing it over the course of 10 to 15 to 20 years being competitive from a wins and loss standpoint. Yeah, and it's... It's interesting because currently Utah, this is, this is the, Bill, this is the perfect time for you to have this conversation. It is. Utah won the Pac-12 South outright for the first time, went to the Pac-12 title game, returns Huntley, Moss, Covey, all, a lot of that defense, highest preseason rank. Like, this, this, is, this is the perfect time. 
Do you feel like this is the the best Utah team going into a season ever? On paper, yes. I think it's better. Than, well, no, no. I, I shouldn't say it. In the Whittingham era, for sure. This is the best team Kyle's had. It would be hard for me to say it's better than the 0-4 team, although they've got more preseason hype. This is the highest consensus Utah's ever been. If you go, you know, all the preseason mags, all the all the polls that come out, Utah's going to end up at about a 13 or 14 consensus. Their previous hire, and I went back, and I didn't go every year, but I went back as far as I could go in most of the consensus preseason polls. The highest consensus they were over 10 to 15 polls was 20th, and that was coming into the 04 season. So I, I, it would be hard for me to say this, is, this team's better than the 64 Liberty Bowl team. That was really good. <laughs> but at least in the Whittingham era, and that's the era that I've been closest to this program, top to bottom, frontline starters. I, I even think, and I, I've even talked to some of the guys that were on that Sugar Bowl team in 08. I, I think the, and Andy Ludwig said it to the Athletic the other day, too. He said, hey, not much has changed here in the program from a cultural standpoint and a mindset, he says, but the athletes that we have in this program now are different than I was when, when I was here 10 years ago. So given the excitement, uh, the hype, um, if BYU beats Utah in game one, is this perhaps the most devastating loss to BYU in a long time or perhaps ever? Uh, well, it would be devastating. There's no doubt about that. I don't know if you would say ever because it, it's just hard. If they, if they then go on to win the Pac-12, yeah, it would be one of those things where you'd look back and say, "Well, oh, man, that was that was a lousy way to begin the season, yeah. and we stubbed our toe." But if you go on and win the Pac-12, that that's why you know again we're, we're talking about these two programs in different places. Ten years ago, this was the game, and it's still a huge game in this state. I don't ever downplay that because I love it, and it's a rivalry game. But but Utah has bigger fish to fry than the Cougs. And if they lose to BYU next Thursday night but still win the South and beat Oregon, Washington, somebody to win the Pac-12 championship, it'll be a blip. It, will, it won't be a blip for BYU fans because they'll <laughs> pound their chest and say, we beat you, we beat the Pac-12 champions, we're here. So, But, but yeah, I, I don't know that it would be the most devastating loss, but it would certainly hurt until they went out and beat SC or beat Washington or somebody like that. Bill, let's finish with this uh, really quick. I was talking with Blaine Fowler the other day, and we were trying to remember a time or the last time Utah was picked to win the conference, any conference, outright in the preseason. Do you know that year? Because I feel like it's been a long time, right? I would have to go. That I haven't actually looked at. I want to say they were. I'd have to go back and look at 08. I know they were in 04. I mean, that, that, would, that was the team that Urban, remember, TCU, I don't think, was in the, the Mountain West yet. I think Correct. it was still Utah, and, and that was, you know, the end of the Croton era, so the Cougs were come, coming into the season down a bit. I think Utah, because they were consensus preseason 20, I want to say it might have been 04 okay. was the last time that they were like a unanimous pick to win the conference champ. I'd have to go back and look at 08. But TCU was probably in the mix, and BYU may have been in the mix that year, too. But I think 04 for sure they would have been, because I'm trying to think of anybody else that would have been in the Mountain West at the time. Maybe CSU with Sonny Lubick. But I'm going to guess it was probably 04. Very good. Confirm it, tweet it at me, and then I'll respond, and we'll blow it up again, man. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We'll blow it up again. 
Take the matches away from him, would you, Jerem? <laughs> Seriously. The Twitter arson. Take the matches away from him. I, I, I had a little fire going, and then Spencer came in with all of his BYU followers and threw a gigantic match on my very dry kindling yesterday. Pour the gasoline. We call him the, the gas man. Yeah, yep. Bill, it's great to talk to you. We, uh, we really wanted to talk to you today because we think it's only fair that you have your say in this whole uh, debate of how you define competitive. So thanks for joining us. No, you're, you guys are welcome anytime, and uh, glad I could uh, have a little discussion, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys next Thursday down in Provo. You got it, man. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. Bill Riley on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Yeah, I, I feel differently about the word competitive in that, and that's fine. Yes. I, again, I, we I've feel said like margin, uh, losers talk about margins of victory, sure. right? Or yes. loss. I, yes. Yeah, BYU's lost state, but I, I just think there's more to it than straight wins and loss. I just do. I feel like Utah's been competitive against Washington, especially in the last three years. I watched both games last year, and I was like, wow. They're right there. They're right there. Yeah. Right? The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The countdown <laughs> hits a notable number today. Let's go. The countdown to the youths. Ten days away. A perfect ten days away from BYU and Utah. Wow. It is Mitch Matthews Day. Yes, it is. Remember what he did against Nebraska in a season uh, that opener? That was an elite play. In a season play. opener. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. All right, so we were talking this morning, 10 days away. It's been 10 years since BYU beat Utah. So we're going to list the top 10 reasons why BYU will end the streak against Utah, presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. All right, Jerem. Start us off at number 10. BYU will finally defend Lavelle Edwards Stadium properly. It's time, right? BYU has not been good at home under Kalani Satake. I feel like this is game show music. <laughs> I was hoping it'd be more intense, like, like with purpose. Okay. We, Maybe we can switch we it up. We Maybe we can switch it up, okay? Uh, yeah, BYU stunk at home the last two years, five and seven. Come on, let's go. It's time. it's time. It's oh, time to defend Lavelle nice. Edwards. I think they have oh, something. Okay. All right, we'll listen. We're going to bring on going. the dramatic music. Oh, number nine. Oh, we don't have anything. Number nine, BYU has never lost an August home opener. 7-0 oh. oh, all oh. time. Yeah, let's keep that going. And they have four wins in those seven games against Power 5 teams. Well, 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 Texas A&M. Washington State, I believe, was the most recent at home in 2012. Oh, home openers against uh, top 15 teams. 96, Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. 2013, Texas. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Number mm-hmm. eight, Utah's kicking game is suspect. Okay, punter Ben Lennon from Australia, okay, trying to be the ne- next Mitch Wisnowski. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kicker, Andrew Strau. From UCLA, grad transfer, okay. Because Chaden Johnston quit. Jane Redding's a walk-on. He was the backup in the spring. The kicking game is not the same for Utah. Meanwhile, BYU has Jake Oldroyd, who they hope is both uh, a really good kicker and punter. We'll see if Skyler Southam pushes there, Danny Jones and whatnot. Field position battle. Make yeah. field goals. Like, this has been such an advantage for Utah 
not just against oh. BYU, but yeah. against every team they play. They have crushed it. They have had an elite kicking game for what feels like 15 years. Yeah, it feels like that. It's not that, but it feels like that. I mean, going all the way back to Louis Sakota <laughs> in 2005 yeah. and 2006. They've 2006. had good kickers, but not necessarily the punter. Yeah, it's been it's uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, great punters and kickers. True, and returners. Point, at one point, Eric Weddle was punting. So yeah, I mean, if that guy could punt, then. <laughs> number seven, balance needs to be restored. Oh, and now we're intensity. Talking. Yes, the now we're going is here. Balance must be restored yeah. to the rivalry. And guess what? BYU might just have balance on offense, Jared. Yeah, and in the overall. Series, right, and in the passing running game. I think BYU's got quality O-line, good running backs, uh, good quarterback. Number six, Britton Covey's not 100%. That's Utah's leading receiver. He tore his, what, ACL and meniscus in the Pac-12 title game, missed the bowl game. He's not a hundy. I'd be shocked if he's, like, playing and super effective in this game. But he's a gamer. Like, who knows? Number five, BYU's offensive line we think might be the best position group they have and believe they can hang with Utah's elite defensive line. I'm interested to see that matchup. I know Hans Olsen, uh, Salt Lake radio personality, feels like this is going to be the matchup in the game. Utah's D-line's really good. you got multiple All-American candidates in there. BYU has a freshman All-American, a couple of them, but do they have actual All-Americans beyond the freshman year, right? Okay, number, where are we at? Four. Zach Moss has a broken hand. What? Utah wants to act like this isn't a thing. It's out there. We all know it. He's got a broken hand. He's in a cast. He's not the same. Okay? And it's, what, the right hand, I think? Is he right-handed? Is he going to tote the rock in that hand? Utah knows Zach Wilson's shoulder. Both of them are jacked, surgically repaired in one of them. BYU knows Zach Moss. It's football. It's an injury. What? impact will that have on the game? Will it limit his ability to carry the load? You would I, think, I don't right? think it will affect him a ton, but it's a storyline. Yeah, it's a storyline. Definitely. Number three, BYU has unfinished business after last year. Yeah. If you remember, BYU led by 20 points late in the third quarter. And Utah <sighs> I forgot about that. provided that no, rivalry no, moment I've thought about it every day since. with a crazy comeback win in Salt Lake City, 35-27. Yeah, Unfinished business. Number two, BYU has its best quarterback since Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. I, I think Zach Wilson is going to be the truth. How quickly will he be the truth against quality opponents? I think Zach Wilson is going to be awesome. BYU is in its best position to have that QB win the game. And our number one reason BYU will end the streak against Utah after 10 years is because, Jerem, it's too perfect. Too perfect. They are the preseason Pac-12 favorites, the preseason Rose Bowl champions. Yogi Roth went on Jim Rohn the other day and said Utah has a legit shot to get to the college football playoff. It's too perfect. Of all the years for BYU to beat Utah, it would be this year. This is the one. In Provo. End the streak when they have no business being on the field with that elite Pac-12 team. This would be too perfect. Too perfect. It'd be too perfect. Almost poetic, really. Yeah. And like I mentioned, top 15 teams in the home opener. You've always been there, done that. Those are the top 10 reasons. <laughs> will end the streak. And thank you for changing the music. I think we found the, yes, intensity, we found the intensity that we were seeking. Thank you. Yeah, just crank it. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. 
This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. The annual Cougar kickoff held last week once again presented BYU fans with a shot at autographs and selfies featuring some of their favorite athletes. It also presented one former football player the same opportunity. Algernon Brown, flowers for Algernon, posed as the biggest BYU fan of them all. But did any of the current BYU players actually recognize him? Let's go between the lines. Let's go. I'm saving it. eBay, here we come. Inside the five. Brown. Algie Brown, graduated in 2016. Update the fans on what you're doing in your life right now. Right now, still chasing the dream. Uh, NFL free agent. Coming out of college, I went to Seattle, and then went to New York with the Jets. And then just last season, I was with uh, Kansas City. And you have a new addition to your family, right? I do. What does your family look like right now? So I have two girls. My oldest just turned three. And then I have a three-month-old, Rosie and Isabella. I love them. So what do you miss most about BYU football? Mostly just uh, just being with the guys. A lot of friends, we all have the similar goals and stuff like that. Well, you are going to pose today as the biggest BYU fan there ever was. Uh-huh. So are you ready to, to go school some fools? Oh, yeah, let's go. Okay, let's, let's do it. Dude, what's good? Jim Baxter, right? Yeah. Dude, huge fan, man. Selfie, please. All right. Say something to the people. Uh, go Cougars. How, How are you doing? I'm good. I don't know who you are, so uh, it's good to meet you for the first time. <laughs> What's up? How you doing? Good. How are you? You excited? Of course. I'm excited. I think I'm more excited than you are. Yeah, that's no, I'm pretty hard. sure I am. No, no, I, I definitely am. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Dude, what's your name? D'Angelo. D'Angelo, dude. How you doing? It's good to meet you, man. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. Biggest fan ever. Shake my hand, Chris. What's yes. Up? What's yes. up? What's up? I love you guys. No, I wish, though. You must be a Kafushi. Yeah, how'd you know? He looks like uh, all other 30 of them. I could be like Bronson or Corbin. <laughs> Micah, dude. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, good. My favorite player. Oh, my gosh. It's another Kalfusi. Can you sign this, please? Yeah, what's your name? My name's Algie. What's your name? Algie? That's interesting. You look familiar. I don't know. Yo, what up? Troy. Warner. Can you sign this whole poster for me? Oh, yeah. Who's your your favorite running back of all time here at BYU? Here at BYU? Yeah. Uh, 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 He took too long. He took too long. Mr. Williams, what's up, man? What's going on? How many yards are you going to have? Uh, not, I'm not setting a limit, man. I'm not setting a limit. Just going out there. That's the mindset fun. you need. That's yeah. the mindset you need. Kill it this year. I love you. That looks like a long line. Looks like quarterbacks over there. Where's Zach Williams at? Did I say Zach Williams? That's terrible. I'm here with Zach Wilson. Say something to the people, man. This dude, uh, back in the day. Uh, you don't know around. me. Uh, yeah. what about you, man? Yeah. Say something to the people. Love you guys. Dude, I'm the biggest BYU fan around here. Can you, like, sign my arm real quick? Just please sign my arm real quick. Dude, Huge fan. I'm not going to sign your Huge arm fan. right now. Hey, I'm yeah. not moving until you sign my arm. All right, then, bro. Get it, please. <laughs> Biggest BYU fan ever. Oh, my gosh. I'm digging the hair. Oh, the body. Everything about you. I'm thinking about running through here. Yes! Yes! What's up? How are you guys? Algie. Algie, nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? We follow. Ready, go. 
I'm going over here. Uh, this is good. I, I like talking to some of the guys. What's uh, one final word for the fans? To support however you can, support these boys, support all the teams, support BYU. I loved it when I was here, so. And support uh, Alfie Brown. Support me, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. And to Lauren McLean. I thought that was, that was really fun. There's not too many people that we could send out there to jump on Kairos Tonga or say, where's Zach Williams? <laughs> so good. Algy was great. He was great. That was awesome. It was really funny. So, obviously, some of his former teammates, and they're freshmen or whatever, knew Algie. Yes. Right? And Algie yes. was the leading rusher in, what, 2015, 15. right? When Jamal Williams was uh, a red shirt, I guess, um, and out of school. <laughs> but the guys that don't know, Emmanuel, who's your favorite running back all time here? Uh, uh, he doesn't like, uh, know. It's uh, all no, good. Too long. See you later. Tyson Williams. Nice answer, by the way. I'm not going to set a limit. Not setting a limit. Ooh, how about that? Yeah. I like that. I love that was the mentality. Funny. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Countdown to the Utes. Nine days away. Yes, it is nine days away. Sorry. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm I'm okay. I was going to cough for a second, so if you'd like to do it again. Let's do it again. We can do it again. We're a team here. Let's go. Run it back. (laughs) Run it back. Or don't run it back. Well, give, give him a sec. <laughs> we are nine days away. Countdown to the youths. Nine days away. There we okay, go. Thank you. Austin Collie Day, the mm-hmm. GOAT, wide receiver BYU. Also Jim McMahon Day. That guy, too. Mm-hmm. He was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, with nine position groups and nine days to go, here are the BYU football position group power rankings okay. from nine to one. Let's start with number nine, the secondary. I think there are some talented people in this group. I know you do, too. Don Gonwoloku, Austin Lee are your kind of main returners. At cornerback, Gonwoloku, Heron, Mandel, probably your top three for two spots right there. Safeties, Austin Lee, and then Malik Moore, Sawyer Powell, question mark, right? So not having Chris Wilcox uh, at corner and not having Troy Warner uh, at safety a little bit, that, that's an issue. Yes, I, I don't the think depth, this is the depth is a real concern. Yes, I don't think this is a weak group. They're number nine. It doesn't mean they stink. We just think, oh, perhaps the depth is going to be uh, questioned early, but perhaps guys rise up and they play well. Question marks for sure because of the depth. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, some guys have been moved around. Diane Gawolik got moved to cornerback to help shore up. No Chris Wilcox yes. and no Eric Ellison, who was expected to be a contributor. JC guy that's going to enroll later apparently, but not now. So right. now D'Angelo Mandel and Isaiah Heron have some huge responsibility on the other side. I would imagine they'll play that boundary corner position, and BYU will leave Diane Gawoloku to be the field corner and let yes. him be the general of that huge open space, typically matched up with a team's best receiver. So I like what BYU is going to put on the field, but what, what happens if one of those guys has to come off the field and somebody, heaven forbid, gets hurt? Austin Lee, I think, is a formidable player. I think he's a serviceable safety. I think Sawyer Powell is the same thing. It'd be nice to have Troy Warner in the mix. Yeah. Number it's, just, eight. it's just depth. Okay, number eight, tight end. We thought this might be the strongest position group like three months ago. Yeah, uh, and now there's issues, right? Matt Bushman, the main guy. Moroni Laulupujitao is back. That's great. Those two are good. Hank Tui Peloti was going to be a star 
apparently. He was playing really well, but he got hurt, so now it's just a little different. So you have those two, and then you have some young bucks, so that makes it concerned a little bit. Depending on what Moroni Lalo-Puchita is able to do as he gets acclimated back in, then maybe that position group jumps up, but for now, it's number eight. At number seven, wide receivers, Jerem. Wide receivers are interesting. You have the three seniors that you like a lot, Aleva Hifo, Talon Shumway, Micah Simon. Okay, they've been here. Let's see if they can do it. Gunnar Romney, talented sophomore, not injured, healthy, ready to go, 15 pounds of pure, undefiled muscle. Keanu Hill, 6-4 receiver out of Texas. I think this group will make another leap. All right, at number six, the BYU defensive line led by, not surprisingly, Kyrus Tonga. But along with Kyrus Tonga, who is the guy or who are the other guys that can step up and really make that defensive line an elite unit? I don't think they'll be elite. I think Kairos Tonga is, but I think Lorenzo Fawatea is a good player. Trajan Peely. Uh, there, there's some good experience. Rakanel Bakri, Devin Zach, Kafusi. Zach Daw. So there are guys have been there. We just need this, this group to take a leap and get pressure with four at times. That'd be nice. At number five, the special teams. And I think Jake Oldroyd is leading the charge here, Jerem. The cover teams, typically for BYU under Ed Lamb, have been really good. Yes. Like top 10 good in most significant special teams cover categories. Yes, but the point of the game is to score. And, uh, you know, field position helps with that. Those are all ancillary to the actual scoring. So if you're, not, if you're kicking field goals, you've got to make those field goals. Skyler Southam came in with a lot of, uh, lot of excitement, a lot of praise. I thought he was, he was good. He was fine, but he wasn't. Uh, he made the game-winning kick at Wisconsin. That was a huge kick. Um, that back and forth with Jake Oldroyd will be good. Uh, Jake Oldroyd appears to be the front runner, both punter and kicker. But as we found out with Jake Oldroyd, his freshman year, you might need two. So just be ready. Jake Oldroyd leading the charge. Special teams in the middle at number five. At number four, linebacker with Zane Anderson and Isaiah Kafusi coming back on the outside. Big question mark here is who's going to be the guy in the middle? The, yeah, that's, that's great with those two outside. Both of them got hurt last year. You're going to have to have backups uh, potentially in this game, right? Middle linebacker, who is it? There are four guys in the mix. Kavik Fonul was back at practice. Keenan Peely, Jackson Kafusi, and Peyton Wilgar all in the mix. BYU hasn't named a middle linebacker quite yet, but two or three guys uh, they're confident in. They haven't named which two or three they are. But uh, that's a big question mark. Middle and how much run does Chaz Ayu get in all of this? You yeah, know? backing up Zane Anderson currently. Number three, the running backs, Jerem. Yeah, two grad transfers you brought in. We talked about them all summer. Tyson Williams, Emmanuel Supa, Lopini Katoa is the incumbent guy. I feel like this is Tyson Williams as the main guy. Lopini Katoa right there with him, if not 1B, right? And then Emmanuel Supa is a nice third option. Some other running backs in the mix, but those are the clear top three. Yeah, going into camp, I don't think we had the running backs as high as number three, but from no. what we've heard, what we've seen, what the performances have been on the field, this position group seems to be in good hands with those three. No. At number two, the BYU offensive line. Now this may be, I mean, Eric Mateos tried to kind of challenge the, hey, just because we have a lot of guys come back, we still got to earn it, right? BYU brings back some good talent. Brady Christensen is the left tackle. James Empey were freshman All-American. That was awesome. Tristan Hodge is a good player. Chandon Herring and Harris Lachance. Uh, and, and then you have good experience with Keanu Saliapaga and Thomas Schoff. Kiefer Longson's yes. making his way into Those the mix. Those eight guys I feel really good about. And that's good that we're not like, uh, who are the three? And then th- that's what we're saying about the linebackers. Like, okay, there's like three guys that you're like, okay, I like them. Who else will emerge? This whole line's stacked to me. At number one, you've probably figured it out because we haven't talked about it yet. The quarterbacks, Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall, Joe Critchlow, Baylor Romney battling for that third position. 
Zach Wilson, and Jaron Hall make this what we believe is the strongest position group BYU will take into week number one against Utah. And that's everything to do with the backup. If Jaron Hall was just okay, this group would not be number one. Zach Wilson, we hope, is the truth. Jaron Hall had a great spring. He's had a, a good fall camp. People haven't been talking about it very much because he's been as good as he was in spring ball. If Jaron Hall has to play, BYU's confident he will come in and he will pick up the slack right away. There you go. From 9 to 1, secondary, tight end, wide receiver, defensive line, and special teams at number 5, the top four, linebackers, running back, offensive line, and number 1, the quarterbacks. When you have your top three position groups as running back, offensive line, and quarterback, you're not going 5 and 7. You're winning at least 7 games. At least 7. Let's Come go. On. Come on. Eight. Our question of the day. Which BYU football position group are you most confident in nine days from kickoff? Let's go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. At N underscore Crowley 19 answers on Instagram. Uh, quarterback, obviously. There have been years like 2017 where BYU would die to have Jaron, Zach, or even Baylor. Mm, I'm not quite sure about Baylor yet, but yeah, I'd see your point. Hashtag BYUSN Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay up to date with The Countdown. Every weekday on BYU Sports Nation, on BYU TV, and BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. It's now time we go to Jason Shepard, who spoke recently with Emmanuel Supa, the other running back transfer, and how he impacts the team this season. One-on-one BYU Sports Nation All-Access, Jason Shepard with Emmanuel Supa. All right, Emmanuel, week three of camp. At this point, do things start to slow down, start to drag a little bit? Or How are you guys doing with that? So, yeah, you know, it, it does, you know, get a little... You know, you're doing the same thing every day. It starts to slow down, drag, but um, Coach is doing a great job of, like, switching things up in practice, giving us different situations and, uh, you know, just doing different things and activities every day uh, to keep this alive and uh, not make it, like, monotonous, you know. So it's been going well. Things uh, were really mixed up today because the coaches kind of took a step back, and this was a practice completely run by the players. You guys picked the drills you wanted to run. I mean, you guys ran everything. What? Uh, first of all, how much fun is that when you guys get to be in charge of stuff like that? It's a lot of fun, but, you know, it's also a lot of responsibility. You know, you don't want to have too much fun with it. But, I mean, it was great. You know, I felt like today we didn't miss a, a beat without the coaches, you know, uh, We've had, you know, three weeks of straight just coaching, everybody drilling, um, a whole bunch of different coaching points in our heads. So when we finally got out here, you know, without the coaches, it was pretty it was pretty smooth. You know, we let the leaders step up and say, hey, uh, you do this here, you do that there. So uh, all in all, it was, a, it was a pretty smooth practice. I loved it. Well, now we know how early the coaches have to be here in order to get the game plan. Did you guys have to get here at like 5 or 6 in the morning to make the game plan ready to go? No, it was something yesterday. We, uh, we were notified yesterday by Coach uh, Sataki. And from there, we just started building. So it was just uh, like 24 hours. Coach Satake had mentioned that, that you guys actually had some of the coaches going through some drills. Now, I've got to imagine that's pretty. that's got to be a pretty powerful move to be able to put your coaches through some uh, some drills. Yeah, we had them do um, uh, punt return catches. Uh, it, was, it was a really good time to, you know, see uh, all the coaches catch the ball, you know, flex their athletic ability. Um, and then, you know, if they didn't catch it, then the the – their position group had gasters, so it was just a fun competition to just keep things, you know, lively around practice. 
How is the vibe in terms of, I know I was talking with, uh, with Tristan Hodge the other day, and, and he brought up what you brought up in terms of things being mixed up, and it kind of breaks up the monotony. He says it's also kind of helped with the camaraderie as well. There have been less altercations and things like that. What's the vibe between you guys as teammates right now? It seems pretty good. Yeah, so um, as far as, you know, just coming together and just being a family, we really focused on in the meetings, uh, Everybody goes up in front of everybody and tells uh, their hardship, their um, highlight of their life, and the hero of their life. So um, uh, just doing that and just knowing the player across from you, whether it be defense or offense, uh, you know, it just turns this into a whole family thing. So I really feel like that's kind of like uh, suppressed all the fighting and stuff like that, but also makes you play harder for the man next to you. So, yeah, it's been great, like, getting to know a lot of the players on the team. I got to ask you, what's the highlight of your life then so far? Uh, the highlight is definitely graduating college, definitely graduating college. I mean, uh, it, was, it was a long four years, and I'm just glad I made it out on the other side with the degree. Where would beating Utah in game one rank in the highlights of your life? Uh, it would be pretty huge, top five for sure. It would be big time, yeah. There's a lot of excitement about this rushing attack with you and Lopini, you know, and Tyson and others, obviously. It's kind of a deep group now with, with you guys coming in as the transfers. How has how has the the rushing attack progressed from the beginning of camp? Uh, it's just progressed in in the fact that like you know we have more experience, you know, uh, some more guys that played a lot more football. Um, so it's progressed that now the younger guys are starting to you know learn faster because you know when coach is coaching, uh, you know, Peeney, we're over here coaching, you know, uh, Sione or uh, Tyler. So um, I feel like all the whole running back group is progressing like. Uh, as a whole together, and it's just been great. What is what is possible, do you think, for this rushing attack this year? The offensive line, you know, everybody comes back, and that was a, a position of strength for BYU last year, and it looks to be even more impressive this season. With that line in front of you and the talent you guys have in the backfield, what do you think is possible on the ground this year? Oh, yeah, I, I think uh, anything's possible. You know, um, we're going to go out there, we're going to execute uh, the plays that the coaches drop for us, and I think it's going to be amazing this year. When you look at between now and the start uh, of the season, so week one on the 29th against Utah, where do you feel you need to make the biggest improvement, and where do you think the offense needs to make the biggest improvement? Um, I feel like I need to uh, make the biggest improvement and just – keep uh drilling and focusing on the little details that we have like the little intricacies that we have in our um in our run plays you know um and and, uh look at the bigger picture and also the passing concepts uh that's just something for me um and then uh, the offense as a whole um just playing fast playing as fast as we can and just um eliminating pre-snap penalties and um just continue to get better every day what do you what have you seen from the quarterbacks with with zach you know being the starter and and jaron you know, very close behind. Everybody's excited about the opportunities coming out of that position. What do you see from that? I see a great group, you know, uh, with Zach just being a stud, being the guy that's uh, just been running everything here. And then uh, Jaron being a very versatile guy and uh, just being willing to come in here, work, and compete every day. So I I just see, like, a a really great uh, group, and I'm excited to work with them. Everybody calls Jaron – the uh, Russell Wilson. Now, he's a Seahawks fan, too, which probably adds to that. But he's got a little Russell Wilson there, right? Yeah, I see it a lot. The height, you know, the hair, the look, <laughs> everything. Yeah, I see it. So what uh, when you're not here at uh, on campus and 
practicing and looking at film. What have you been doing just to kind of relax and get away from football? Or are you not the guy that wants to get away? You want to kind of consume it? Yeah, you know, I've just been really locked in lately with fall camp. When I'm not playing football, I'm at home sleeping or just drinking water or something. You know, I don't really do anything too exciting outside of football right now. It's just laser focus. Drinking water is very important. I do want to ask you because you're coming from Houston. Anybody that's been to Houston knows how humid it is, especially this time of year. So you've been through a fall camp in that humidity. What's worse? Is it getting used to the altitude here or dealing with the humidity in Houston? Uh, Definitely dealing with the humidity because it's there to smack you in your face every day no matter what. But um, here you could get used to the elevation and it could become part of your daily routine. You know, and uh, it, after a couple of weeks, it's not really a factor. But in Houston, I mean, you could kind of get used to the humidity, like the feeling of it, but it's always going to smack you in the face uh, all the time. So um, definitely humidity. Last thing before I let you go, thing you're most excited about to begin the year? thing I'm most excited about is just uh, turning over a new leaf and starting a new chapter with, with my new family here. You know, I'm, I've gotten to know a lot of the guys on the team, and I'm just ready to go out there and ball out with them. Manuel, great stuff. People are excited to see you run here with the Cougars. Thanks. Yes, sir. Thank you. I am Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan, who just recently went one-on-one with BYU offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes after the final scrimmage of BYU football training camp to discuss the explosiveness of the BYU football offense, if it indeed is going to take the next step forward. And here's a guy who's fresh off of catching a punt over his head, so he's got to be feeling good, right? One-on-one BYU Sports Nation all-access with the offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes. All right, Jeff, uh, scrimmage at the stadium, always a special place to be. How'd it go today? Good work for our guys. You know, we made it um, uh, more like a mock game than anything else, and so in those situations, what you're looking for more than anything is an opportunity to practice um, substitution, game clock management, how you're going to handle going from one phase of the game to the next, and for the most part, pretty smooth. Was anything validated or discovered today or perhaps confirmed? Um, in terms of personnel? The, the, the offense as a whole. Well, we'll have to watch the film, obviously, before we can make any, any of those type of qualitative decisions. But I thought it, it gave us some of the information that we needed about certain players. We're certainly um, still giving some guys opportunities to show whether they're ready to play in a game-like environment or not. And as you get a little bit closer to the game, then some guys get a little bit more nervous and, and show that maybe they're not quite ready for prime time. And other guys are just the opposite. And so I think we gained some valuable information about some players today and as well, um, a few areas that we need to tighten up um, as a whole. How do you manage that in terms of, I know this guy is a good player, I'm seeing it in practice, but perhaps when it comes out here it's perhaps a little different. How do you manage that knowing, well, the games are out here? Well, if he can't show it here, then he's certainly not going to be able to show it here when the stadium is full and there's an opponent on the other side of the ball that wants to do him bodily harm. So um, if, they, if they're showing us now that they're not ready, um, then likely they won't be the guys that we're, uh, that we're counting on on game day. Were there individuals this fall camp that surprised you based on their performance? Um, you know, there were a number of guys. I mean, obviously we have a pretty experienced offense, and so I've been, I've been pleased with the progress of, of a number of guys who you would anticipate playing better this year. Um, and then there are several newcomers who, who, are, um, who are doing good things, but I hesitate to name anyone in particular, uh, but the guys who are, getting, who are getting opportunities with the first and second group um, who are either freshmen or transfers, those will be the guys that are doing a good job that, that are new. 
Kalani Saki mentioned uh, two days ago that, if anything with Zach, he's had to hold him back in terms of how much Zach has wanted to throw and to be involved physically. Uh, is that a good problem when you have to hold him back given coming off soldier, shoulder surgery and, hey, the game's in a week, we gotta, we got to wait a minute? Yeah, an old coach told me once you'd rather put a bit in his mouth than a foot in his rear end, and <laughs> Zach, Zach is certainly that way. He, uh, he wants to go and go and go, and uh, there is no such thing as too much for him and his mindset. So it's our job to, to limit him and, and help um, keep him to the, the right amount of reps. But I think we're about where we need to be right now. Given how the Utah game went and how, success, how much success there was in that game for the large portion of it, how much uh, applies to this particular game and how much doesn't given uh, what comes back and what doesn't? Well, I think the thing that applies is that, is that you have uh, the same coaching staffs and the same structure both on our offense and on their defense and um, a lot of the same players and so when you look at some of those matchups from last year's game and how they utilized their players and how we utilized ours I think that certainly makes sense but we're we're a new offense too in that we've got new players and more experienced players and so there will be some some new elements as well so it's a combination of both those things. Jaron Hall had a really nice spring Uh, how has he been this fall camp? He's been great. He's, he's a great player, a phenomenal athlete, and not just an athlete. He's a great quarterback. The wide receivers look to continue to evolve, uh, and you bring a nice trio of seniors plus some young bucks like Gunnar Romney and Keanu Hill and so on. Uh, how have they performed in this fall camp as well? It's been good. It's been really good. They've, they've all continued to improve, and as I said, after the spring, that's a very um, consistent, reliable group, and guys are making more and more plays. So I think it's going to be a group we can, we can depend on. How would you evaluate the offensive line, which returns a lot of guys as well? Making progress, um, certainly better um, than they've been at any time since I've been here, as they should be because they have more experience. I think they've taken very well to, uh, to Coach Mateos. He's doing a great job teaching them and raising their, their um, level of, of expectation. And um, still, still not quite where we would like for them to be, but we got a week left, so I, I think we'll be ready when, when game time shows. What's this fall camp been like for you as you've had to evolve not only from last spring to the middle of the season, changing the offensive touch with Zach Wilson and now trying to cater to uh, what you want to do with this group? Yeah, much easier. Not only did we have a more clear picture of who we are, stylistically, but also a much better picture of of our personnel. So a much easier um, time for us as coaches and an opportunity to go to that next level of of teaching. How would you describe the balance between we want to do this against any defense versus this is what this defense does well, perhaps we avoid this or not? Um, There's always some of both in every game plan. So you have your offense that you're going to run, and you have certain plays that you feel like are probably good against most, if not all, defenses. But then there are also a certain number of plays that you might pull out versus a certain coverage or a certain front. And so there's um, there's certainly some of both, but more of the of the previous that you mentioned. There, we'd like to be a team that's built around execution believe that execution is a big part of our strategy if we can execute well then that is our strategy Um, and so there will be a lot more similarities than differences from week to week you've been a part of a lot of big games big environments certainly winning a national title with Auburn and an LSU and so on Colorado and and BYU of course and others Uh, Thursday night season opener Utah ESPN can you describe I guess the opportunity that is this this kind of stage it's a great opportunity because you know everybody's going to be watching college football the first Thursday night that you get to play. And often in my past, that's been 
a time when a lot of the players came over to my house and we watched the game and cooked food and hung out and watched other people play. And so it's a great opportunity for us to play on a national stage when we know everybody will be watching and and uh, we can see uh, we can see how much um, our hard work's paid off, I think, and have an opportunity to prove ourselves um, in front of a lot of people. And finally, will the mustache go the distance the whole season like it did last year? I don't see that I have a choice. You have to keep it. Says who? I, um, I'm not sure. It's just one of those things that's kind of taken on a life of its own. And so um, I don't know that I have a choice. My wife has kind of accepted it. She doesn't necessarily <laughs> like it, but I think she's just accepted it now. Hey, if, uh, if and when you win next Thursday, I think you keep it for sure, right? Yeah, no, no question. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. All right, go Cougs. Jeff Grimes, offensive coordinator for BYU. The mustache is stay. Hey, that's it's a good looking mustache, and he's doing the sideburns, kind of the back. He's got it going, man. Okay, Ho- hopefully our offense is as explosive as his hair follicles. That's my hope. Listening to what he said, and I know on paper it looks good. Everybody looks great in fall camp, right? Oh, they look so explosive. The athletes are cut. I declared on day one that BYU is going to win the national faster. Title. Oh, they're better. They're stronger. <laughs> They're all coming out with more intensity, the brotherhood. 10 to 15 pounds of undefiled muscle. Is this going to manifest itself in the form of a more explosive offense for BYU? Is it it going to pay off? Let's hope so, because if the defense uh, takes a a step back just a touch, right, the offense will need to make up that gap a little bit and the overall quality. And probably then some. And perhaps special teams is better as well. Well, you You need all three facets to win and be good. Some days the offense will be off. Some days the defense will be off, special teams and so on. It takes a team to win. But I'm excited at the prospect of the offense being better because guess what? What, is, what, is, what are the first three letters right here? B-Y-U. Yes. That is synonymous with offense. Exciting with offense. passing. Exciting right? offense. So let's see it. Let's see our identity manifest again in 2019. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jerem, but if BYU has a more explosive offense, they beat Northern Illinois at home. They find a way it didn't to, even need to beat be explosive. Boise State on the blue turf eight for the points. first time. Eight points isn't explosive. Uh, yeah, exactly. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Every year, BYU Athletic Director Tom Holmo is gracious enough to address a crowd of BYU fans and supporters during the Education Week. I used to go to this back in the day with Val Hale as a teenager. Yeah, Yeah. okay, so Jerem has experienced this. It is a tradition that continues on. And yesterday, Tom Holmo, again, addressing different fan questions, talked about a lot of things, including... The BYU football scheduling philosophy. I did not plant this question. I want that to be clear. Someone asked independently of me. And I quote (laughs) from Tom Homo. If I wanted to, I could schedule 10 wins a year. It's easy. We're independent, but you're going to see the teams we beat and you're going, you're not going to like it. Some people say, get us to 10 wins. I could care less about 10 wins unless that's against 10 quality opponents. End quote. Jerem on that note, what's keeping BYU football from winning 10 games a year on a consistent basis? There are a number of ideas here. It could be schedules too hard. BYU hasn't been good enough. Recruiting's not where it needs to be. Coaching, the wheel of accountability is in full play. So what's keeping BYU football from that 10-win number? First off, was that comment addressed at me? If so, I love it. Let's go. Um, 
it's a complicated matter. You mentioned there are a lot of things. Injuries, the schedule, talent, the honor code, it all matters. BYU can be good at football. I think BYU's been good at football. We just want them to be 10 wins good occasionally, right? Not, not every year. That's probably too much uh, given how hard the schedules are, right? I personally feel like if the schedule's too tough and BYU doesn't win 10-plus games, it's hard to have a nationally relevant season, the kind of season that we talk about for a long time. We don't talk about the uh, nine-win seasons here. We talk about the 10-plus win seasons as the ones, right? That doesn't mean it would be, um, you know, uh, uh, wouldn't be a good season, but the bottom line is how many wins you have. The 1984 BYU National Championship team proves that idea. BYU beat three teams with a winning record out of 13. Okay. Only one team that won seven or more games. That schedule wasn't hard. Pitt was ranked third. They ended up being three, seven, and one. They weren't good when Injury, the plague, seven, not right? good. But you can beat, you just beat the teams in front of you. Now the BYU is not in a league. They can control their schedule, right? With ESPN. Um, another thing, the honor code can be a strength and a weakness. The strength is BYU tracks certain students to this environment. I wanted to come to BYU uh, because of what BYU is and represents. I loved it, right? The weakness is... In 2019, Jim McMahon couldn't play here because social media would uh, see him drinking on the weekends, right? In the 80s. But it was tolerated because he was winning. The ends absolutely justified the means. You don't want anyone with a DUI, and BYU's dealt with that with Neil Pau. But the ends justified the the means for a guy like Jim McMahon. Everyone makes their own choices. BYU can't even fully uh, have every return missionary Obeying the honor code completely. Everyone makes their own choices. It's hard. And then there's the schedule. I'm not calling for BYU to play a patsy, easy schedule. I'm calling for BYU to play just a fewer tough games, try and have as much balance as possible. I realize it's incredibly difficult to do this. And I think Tom Homo does a good job of putting together really good schedules because you have to appease ESPN. You have to appease the uh, season ticket holders to a degree, right? But at the end of the day, I'm more concerned about winning than I am appeasing anybody about anything. So just a little less uh, tough on the schedule, and perhaps BYU gets to 10 wins occasionally. Here's the thing just with people in general. You always are looking for something better or more. Like, there is no way to keep everybody happy. Tom Homo is in an impossible situation with scheduling because when BYU went independent, the idea of playing Ole Miss and Michigan and Nebraska and Missouri and Michigan State and Washington and all of these teams with history and power five back package or whatever you want to call it, like lineage, it was exciting. People wanted it. Yeah, BYU's good enough. We saw what they did with Max Salt. It's time to take the next step. Let's show the big boys we can compete with them. Well, now the schedules have gotten tougher, and it's harder to win 10 games and win as many games as they had. So now the rhetoric is, oh, man, BYU should probably go back to a situation where they were winning 10 games. But if Tom Homo did that, then all of a sudden that wouldn't be good enough for some portion of the fan base. Like right, but there'd be fewer people complaining about 10 wins. But it, there took, there would be. it took eight years for Tom Homo to get in place what we think is going to be the best home schedule in BYU football history. Preseason. Fans clamored for this. They wanted it. USC, Washington, Boise State, Utah. The idea is nice. in the re- Provo. The reality is not. We can't get meaningful games at home. It's happening now. And now it's like, oh, is it too hard? Is it too hard? What? What? Ultimately, what do people want? That's the question. What do people want? Right? I don't care what people want. 
I want wins. The point is to win. Um, I feel like the point of BYU football currently is to be on ESPN, appease ESPN, and appease season ticket holders. Appease the ego that is BYU. We can do it. We can do it. BYU has been one of the best football programs in the last 40 years. They're top, what, six in wins? It's incredible. National championship, Heisman Trophy. But guess what? In the last decade, this has not been the same program. When BYU got eight or nine wins, were we happy? No. We wanted ten wins. People became fatigued with Bronco Mendenhall, ultimately leading to him leaving to Virginia, right? It's just tough. I wish that we could have both. I wish that we could have BYU winning a lot of games and playing tough schedules. But it's just not what the reality is. Well, recruit better. How's BYU supposed to recruit better when the best um, LDS athletes, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, aren't coming to BYU at the same level that they used to? Brenton Covey comes to BYU a decade ago. Porter Gustin goes to USC. Tanner McKee goes to Stanford. Um, Some of these guys aren't BYU fits per se. Some are. It's tough. It's tough. The one thing I feel like you can control the most in this whole situation is the schedule. I'm not saying play an easy one. I'm just saying play a little, like one or two fewer power fives, and you're going to be happier with the wins. No one complained in 84 about the schedule. Right. No one in 2014 said, you know what, we've only played Texas in the first four. What are we doing? No, no, no. We were happy to beat UConn and Virginia, right? It was like, it just what is what it was. But I'm going to go back to what I said last week, which is if BYU – had beaten UMass and beaten Nevada and hadn't lost to Utah State twice at home, I mean, they're losing to these teams at home, then there is a 10-win season somewhere in there. So the, the, so, so I don't think BYU is that far away from 10 wins. I, I agree with you. but they, Even with the hard schedule. But they didn't do it. That's the point. They didn't do is it. Is it that the schedule's too hard or that the football product just wasn't good enough? I think it's both, yeah. BYU certainly needs to be better. In the eight and nine win seasons, like Taysom Hill's sophomore year, Taysom and uh, Jamal Williams were sophomores, eight and five, tremendous defense. They played like a bunch of seven power fives. That yeah, year. laid an egg against Utah what, at home. What if, what if two of those games? At the end of the day, I still want a competitive schedule. I just don't want it as hard as it is right now, just a little less. And then I think maybe BYU gets to a 10-win season. Then you're relevant. No one cares if right. you win 10 games. But I think you and everybody else that wants 10 wins a season would feel differently if there had been at least one payoff. Well, yeah. And I'm saying that the payoff been. isn't that far away. Even last year, even last year, 7-6 to six home loss to Northern Illinois. If, no, no, they, if BYU I, wins I'm that with, game, they're at 8. I'm with you, but it hasn't happened. Boise State. It hasn't happened BYU yet. makes a play late. Oh, my goodness, they beat Northern Illinois Boys State. They're at nine Look, wins with a hard let, schedule and a freshman quarterback. Even when BYU gets to ten wins, that's one time. Do it more. you got, you got to do it every couple of years to maintain uh, relevance. Yeah, I just don't think it's that far away from happening. So I, I think it's more about just executing with the on-field product. I think BYU's talent is good enough to win ten games even against a, a hard schedule. We thought last year's schedule was impossible. Yeah, I, I don't think BYU has the depth to win ten games against this schedule. I just think it's too hard. Jerem, it's time. And I feel like it's always been too long between instances of your not BYU Sports Nation headlines. We'll start with this. And let me put on my anchor face. You put on your own face. Media impressed by BYU coaches' array of sun shielding hats. They have these, they like they're all going gardening, you know? I do love the bucket hat. 
Speaking well, of, Ed Lamb has a top hat on in this photo. I want to know how who I can get bonnet? one of those bucket heads. Yeah, who get, is that? Gennaro Guilford? Who is that? <laughs> Who's wearing the bonnet? <laughs> Blue bonnet. Steve, oh, I love it. Steve Clark's working at hot dog on a stick now. <laughs> Uh, I'd like some of that freshly squeezed lemonade, Steve. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Love a corn dog. Ryan Shoop and the Rubber Band. They have a great song about a corn dog. On the number two, Spencer Linton can't help himself. Hands out 27 fall camp MVPs. You get an MVP, and you get an MVP, and you get an MVP, and you get an MVP. They all do. Uh, fall camp ended, and we haven't given out the fall camp MVP. Are we, we doing that soon? Is that, is that happening? Well, I think we know who it is, right? Let's discuss and okay. present later. Okay. Okay. Headline three. Jerem Jordan denied requests for coaches to be hooked up to a lie detector during fall camp media availability. Uh, what? Do I lie? No. What, 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 what does this no. even mean? No. You want the coaches to be hooked up to a lie detector when you ask them questions. Oh, denied request. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I don't think they lie. They're just not telling everything. Okay, okay. Is that what we're saying? Lies of omission. I don't think they're lying. I think it, they could tell us a little more. It but would be they fun. want to keep it close. It to, would be fun yeah, to I get, get the truth serum from Ant Man and the Wasp. Yes, the truth serum in there and just ask whatever. You're like, it's that, not a truth serum. Is that it's, it's truth serum? You know what I really want to do is uh, have uh, Utah just tell us that Zach Moss hands broken. Yeah. Anyway, next. Cosmo shows up to fall camp thirty pounds overweight. Last year it was Kairos Koga. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fat Cosmo. Wait, is that regular Cosmo or was he made to With look fat? BYU creamery chocolate milk in his left hand. <laughs> it's whole whole milk. <laughs> fat Cosmo. I don't like Fat Cosmo. Cosmo is in the best shape of anybody. Fat Thor and Fat Cosmo. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's a not BYU Sports Nation headline. <laughs> On to the next headline. BYU football players get lost in newly renovated Lavelle Edwards Stadium. I wish, yeah. Isaiah Heron right there is like, uh, where do I go? Those stairs are legit on that uh, southeast corner, so southwest corner. Yeah. No, there's there's those walkways, and there's new bathrooms, like 216 new stalls or something. Great. Be careful, guys. Yeah, which is, uh, which is awesome. And uh, last but not least... Satake not discussing kicker battle wants Utah to prepare for two kickers. Yeah, we're going to whip out that two kicker card. Who's going to kick now, Utah? <laughs> is what, it Jake Oldroyd or Skyler Southam? What six-footish white kid is going to kick right-footed now? How do you prepare for two kickers? Yeah, those are not BYU Sports Nation headlines. Those are not headlines. Those aren't real. Brought I to you I don't know if you knew that. Unofficially by Blue Onion Sports. No, officially by Delta. That's true. It's yeah. by Delta. <laughs> it is by Delta. Like we have an actual sponsor. Keep climbing for that matter. Our question of the day. What will the headline be next Friday following the Utah at BYU rivalry football game? Let's go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. At the name is B underscore rad. On Twitter, he says, Feeling blue, Utah's offense sputters in 31-20 loss. Now, that could actually be a headline. Feeling yeah, that, blue, yeah. if Utah lost. Yeah, you could actually see that. Sure. In, in uh, sure. the Deseret News of the Daily Herald, but probably not in the Salt Lake Tribune. <laughs> 
Our question of the day. Will BYU be ranked at any time in the AP poll this season? If so, when? Let's go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. At the casual hippie answers on Twitter. If BYU beats Utah and Tennessee, they will be ranked. Just beating Utah would move BYU to others receiving votes. Yeah. Sure. If you beat the 14th ranked team in the country who was projected to win the Pac-12, they're the preseason Rose Bowl champions, <laughs> you're going to get some votes yeah. from sure. people yeah. in the AP. Yeah. It, it starts and hopefully doesn't end with the first game. It really does. Uh, on Instagram from nameless person. <laughs> A win over Utah and Tennessee would place BYU in the AP Top 25 right away. Otherwise, the only other way to be ranked would be to win out if they lose to either Utah and Tennessee. Disagree. I think you can get into, if you're a one-loss BYU team and you get into October and you're, if you're three and one. Three and one, you're in. If you're three and one, you're in. Three and one, you're in. With that schedule? Have you, I'm the schedule guy. With that schedule, BYU's ranked. Come yes. on. Not a two and two. No five hundred team gets no. But if you win ranked beyond one and one, four right. games in a row after you start the first four two and two, and you're six and two, then again you start to you're you're right there. Right if there. Not there. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Clyde Livingston answers on Twitter. Between now and noon Eastern today, they are ranked the same as the next national champion. So that was before the show. We're sixteen minutes in, so that's done. After twelve oh one Eastern time, who cares? Let's just support BYU all season long. Yes, I think we will do that. Don't don't you worry. Yes, as an independent, I don't know how many times I've talked about this. If you want relevance, if you want relevance as an independent football team, it is the ranking. It is the ranking. Man. <laughs> Join the conversation twenty four seven on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Austin Colley is the only BYU wide receiver to catch over 100 passes in a single season. He caught 106 footballs in the year 2008. Cody Hoffman had 100. Jay Miller had exactly 100. Austin Colley, the only guy to go over 100 with 106. He now joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Nine days away from BYU and Utah. Austin, great to have, have you on the show, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, fellas. Okay, let's hear the backstory. Why did you pick number nine and wear that at BYU? So growing up, uh, I was a huge fan of Peter Wark. Huge fan. And that's the, uh, that's the number he wore at Florida State. And I loved him because he did everything. He returned kicks, uh, played quarterback, uh, obviously was a great wide receiver. Um, uh, you know, I, I think they, they, you know, they even had him a running back and sometimes on defense, right? Like the guy did everything. And, uh, uh, I wanted to be just like him. So, uh, and love the number. Did you ever throw that out to Robert and I, Hey, can I be the Pete Warwick of BYU? <laughs> uh, more than once a day. Easy. <laughs> Um, I, I feel like you're the best receiver in BYU history. Maybe you don't care about that kind of stuff, but do, do you feel like you were the best receiver BYU's ever had? <laughs> uh, 
I love it. You guys are putting me on the spot. That's what we do, Austin. Just right away. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think uh, I think BYU's had a a lot of phenomenal wide receivers, and and I also think it's difficult to say, right? Just because it's you know the, the talent out there just keeps on getting better and better and better. You know, I, I see kids do things now that that I wouldn't dream of doing uh, on, on a football field, and and uh, it's now become a kind of a common occurrence. The things that these kids are doing that that I used to think was just unbelievable. Um, uh, you know, but I, I obviously it's, it's uh, everybody has their different opinion, and, and uh, uh, you know I, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that uh, you know what I did was was pretty unique, and and uh, you know showing up and 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 uh, contributing right away uh, from day one, and and been uh, leaving for two years, and and then you know doing it two more after that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd like to think so. Austin Colley with us on BYU Sports Nation. 215 career catches, 3,255 career receiving yards, and 30 touchdowns. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that qualifies as uh, in three seasons, the best yeah. at BYU. Austin, we saw Dylan, your little brother, in his senior season at BYU kind of catch a groove there in the bowl game with Zach Wilson. Six catches, 124 yards, two touchdowns. He's gone, but obviously Zach Wilson is back for what BYU fans hope is a very long time. What do you think of Zach Wilson and his progression and what he's capable of at BYU? You know, the one, the one thing that stands out to me that, that Zach has is just that swagger, right? He, he's got that X factor that you cannot teach. Um, you can't practice. Um, you know, Max had that, right? John had that. Every great quarterback to come through BYU had that where you, you – uh, you got that little swagger. You got that little that little confidence uh, uh, and and surety that you're gonna no matter what the play was or, or when, no matter what play was gonna be needed, you were gonna make it right. That, that's one of the things that made Max so great, right? Was uh, you know I, I'd go to battle with that kid any day of the week just because uh, you know I had confidence that no matter the situation, he was gonna be able to make a play for us. And, and Zach kind of has that, right? Um, some could call that arrogance, right? But you you need a little bit of that if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be great in those situations. BYU plays Utah to open up the season. Um, this is the first time they've ever met to start a season. They'll do it next year as well. How do you feel about this? Is game one? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's a, it's an exciting way to start off the season, but I honestly think. That last week of the season, man, that rivalry week, you got other rivalries going on. Uh, you know, the whole week or the whole year, you've kind of been anticipating, you know, anticipating this one game. Um, and it doesn't matter how inferior the one team is over the other. It was always going to be a great game, and you were going to get everybody's best, right? I think the first game of the season, you're still trying to, like, kind of iron things out. So, you know, one team may not, you know, may not be game ready at that point. But you get almost at the, at the last week of the season, you get almost, you know, uh, has some certainty that everybody kind of had all the kinks ironed out, and, and you were going to get the best team at that best moment, right? So I, I don't know. I'm 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 kind of torn, right? But it is it, on the other hand, it is a great way to kind of kick it off and, and uh, start the season off with a bang. 
Austin Colley with us on BYU Sports Nation. This is the highest-ranked Utah team in their preseason football history. Jeremy and I kind of feel like if there's a year for BYU to beat Utah and break this streak, it almost feels poetic that this should be the year. What do you think? Yeah, again, if I'm Utah, I'm a little worried, right? Because, you know, it's hard to start, you know, that first week of pads and live action and live, I mean, everybody's got butterflies. And again, you know, uh, that first game is not always indicative of how, of how the team actually is from a talent level. Right. And so, you know, if, if I was, if I was Utah, I'd be a little bit, uh, there's almost too much, uh, uh, too much, uh, uh, you know, talk around the team. And, and uh, kind of like you said, uh, it's, uh, it's almost destined for, uh, for something to, to happen for there to be an upset, right? This is the first time they've been picked as the preseason Rose Bowl champs. So. Yeah, good yeah. for them. Congratulations, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Uh, Austin, I want to ask you about fourth and 18 because we're feeling BYU and Utah. So I'm looking at the play here, and I never realized that you started chopping down after eight yards, and for some reason the corner bit on that. It's fourth and 18. What? Yeah. Wh- why? Why did they bite on that? That was fantastic. That, that was fantastic. I'll tell you what, when Max – I don't know if you can see it pre-snap, but Max kind of looked at me and gave me a, a signal, right? Like I, I was initially just supposed to run a takeoff, but then he gave me a signal to to, to chop it down or to stutter it at, at around eight to ten yards. So it was like a, it was a double move type of play. And I, you know, if you could if you could kind of be in my head in that moment, I was like, Max, you are an idiot. Like, why in the world? Am I going to run a double move at 10 yards when this guy's just going to be sitting at the sticks at 18 yards, right? And he's, and shouldn't be, you know, no matter what the situation, should not be biting on anything at 10 yards. And sure enough, it happened. So, <laughs> when when did you realize? Oh my gosh, we're gonna we're gonna get the first down here. I think when he bit, right? I think when he bit, I was like, oh, you know, there's a reason why Max gave it to me. Um, and uh, you you kind of know when when a quarterback goes out of his way to signal you something, he kind of has in, in the forefront of his mind that he's going to be coming that way, right? So I knew once he bit, we got what we wanted, and, and the ball would be coming my way. So, Awesome. Let's finish with this because it's been a while. What does it feel like to beat Utah? <laughs> so I only did it once, man. I only did it once. So in 2004, we went up there, and we got our butts handed to us. Right, that was the year that they went to. Uh, I just so happened two out of three years played the two best Utah teams that probably ever, you know, uh, uh, suit up. Right, first in 2004, that's what the year they went to the Fiesta Bowl and won it. And then in 2007, we beat them and we won the Mountain West Conference Championship. And then in 2008 is the year that they went to the Sugar Bowl and put it on Alabama. Right, so uh, the one year that I did beat them, it was uh, it was awesome. It was great. You know, it's uh, like I said, you know, that week is definitely a week that has a different energy. And and, uh, if you're a player and you say, you know, this game just means, you know, it means something just like the rest of the, uh, you know, it's no different than the other weeks uh, of uh, of football than they're lying to you, right? There's definitely something that's special about that week and has a little bit more meaning, uh, especially to the fans throughout the, throughout the state. He's the Peter Warwick of BYU football, Austin Collier. Nine days away. <laughs> Austin, it's always great to talk to you, man. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation.
The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Countdown to the Utes. Oh, I, yeah. I was like, is it away? Are we throwing that in Eight there? Eight days is, away. Yeah, I hesitated there. Nope, nope. All good. Eight days away. It is Steve Young Day. Yeah, quarterback. Steve Young, man. We continue our countdown with a countdown of lists. Yesterday we were talking and thought, that, oh, eight days away. Who are the top eight quarterbacks in BYU football history? I've not sweated more about a topic in the history of this show. We're, we're going to give you the top eight quarterbacks in BYU history. <laughs> this is QBU. I just want to reiterate that. This is QBU. And I have a QBU shirt. I totally forgot to wear it today. I kind of know what the college football playoff committee feels like when they're trying to get. Oh no, no, this is harder. No, 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 no. Oh, you think this is harder? No, they have like six teams to deal with. We had like fifteen QBs to deal with. Okay, so many. Their job's easy. Put me on the playoff committee. Quarterbacks at BYU. Wait, so we'll go through the list and then we'll read you the list of names that didn't get in. Yeah, like those considered. It is crazy. Okay, at number eight, there was so much debate on this first one. John Beck. 2006, 11-2, 9th most passing yards in a season, beat Utah in dramatic fashion, probably the second best play in BYU history, became a second-round pick. John Beck's number eight. Ugh. Over 11,000 career passing yards. Yeah, yeah, and he had great volume because he started games in four different seasons, right? He was the guy the last two years, kind of last two and a half. He was the quarterback was that awesome. got BYU yeah. back on track after three consecutive losing seasons. And a 500 season. They had four non-winning seasons in a row. Yeah. John Beck Man. at number eight. At number seven, a guy who went to his high school, Max Hall. Yeah, absolutely. Mountain View. 32 wins. The winningest quarterback in BYU history. Max Hall joined the program uh, recently. Beat Utah twice. That matters. Dynamic group of uh, three and four with Dennis Pedos and Kali Harvunga. Still hates Utah. Still so, hates him. He had, he had three 3,000-yard passing seasons. That's incredible. Not everybody on this list had three seasons to be the guy. Max did, and he took full advantage. All three seasons, top 25 finishes, 3,000 passing yards, 10-plus wins. Boom. Like, we hear David Nixon talk about that run between 06 and 08 when BYU didn't lose a home game. Yeah. Hey, so there was John Beck, and then Max Hall was the quarterback for two of those seasons. Yeah, Max was awesome, dude. Power 5 win in his first ever start against Arizona. Beat a top 5 team, right? Was BYU ever unranked? When Max Hall was the quarterback. Just the start of 07, maybe. It's crazy. When BYU lost a lot, and so it's like, how good are they? And then BYU starts BYU 1 and 2. in the rankings but, yeah. with Max Hall. Yeah. At number 6, Gifford Nielsen. Do we have to say Elder S. Gifford Nielsen? Maybe. This one? Yeah. College Football Hall of Famer. That's enough to be top 6, right? All-American in 76. Why? Because he led the nation in passing yards and touchdowns. 3,400 yards and 30 touchdowns. That sounds like a good number, right? Rewind to 40 years, right? It, it was a different era. Those were bonkered numbers. Uh, BYU's second bowl game ever, the Tangerine Bowl in 76. It was a big deal. When BYU went to the Fiesta Bowl in 74 with Gary Shiny, who's not in the top eight, and he was good, there were 11 bowls. 11! Now there's like 4,000. I think there's like 40, 41. Yeah. If Gifford Nielsen doesn't break his leg in week four against Oregon State in 1977, he wins the Davey O'Brien Award. He wins yes. the Sammy Baugh Award. He might have won the Maxwell Award for crying out loud. Yeah, he would not have won the Heisman. That was Earl Campbell. 
Earl Campbell. But he would have been top three. In a wishbone-heavy, run-heavy college football environment was going to win the Heisman. But Gifford Nelson would have won every other prominent quarterback award. Sports Illustrated flew to Corvallis to do a cover story on him, and and, uh, he breaks his leg. He was the guy. It's a Mark Wilson. Yes, Sports Illustrated flew there because he was the guy that was going to challenge Earl Campbell for the Heisman Trophy. But he finishes top two. If he doesn't break his leg, he was he was doing unprecedented things. When he broke his leg, there was this feeling over BYU that we're never going to see another great quarterback like that again. Oh, if they only knew, the run had just begun. And oh, my gosh. With that said, we continue our countdown. At number five, Robbie Bosco. The QB who led BYU to its national title. Third in the Heisman voting that year. 66 career touchdowns. He won his first 14 starts. His first 14. That's pretty good. Brandon Doman did that as well, by the way. Not on the list. Including wins over Boston College, Pittsburgh, and Michigan in those 14 starts. Not bad. Uh, fifth in passing yards all time at BYU. Robbie Bosco, man. He was, he was the guy who led BYU to its national title. Robbie Bosco was drafted into the NFL. Third round pick. Played with the Green Bay Packers. And uh, we, we need to preface this. This is at BYU only. Yes. This is at BYU only. We are not including whole career. Okay. Because of what they did. In fa- all four of the guys that we have listed thus far have started games in the NFL. How about that? I would hope so. At number four, another guy who started plenty of games in the NFL, and the guy who followed Gifford Nielsen, Mark Wilson. 1979 is probably the most underrated team in BYU history. They start the season 11-0. They lose the bowl game. They miss field goal that they should have made. Um, But Mark Wilson beat out Jim McMahon for the job the year before in 78. They kind of did a two-quarterback thing. It didn't work. Lavelle Edwards later said that was a mistake. In 79, Mark Wilson was the guy. Jim McMahon redshirts. You're the guy that makes Jim McMahon redshirt? Are you kidding me? You were that good. Third in the Heisman voting, first-round pick. Mark Wilson. Yeah, he was awesome. So close to having BYU with an undefeated season in 1979. This close, man. At number three, we're into the top three. Celebrating eight days away, it is number eight, Steve Young. Second in the Heisman voting. To uh, Rozier, right? In, Mike in Rozier, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. He threw for 3,900 yards, 33 touchdowns in 1983. Perhaps the greatest season in BYU football history. I 84? Think, what? I, We've talked about it. I think it based on who they beat and how they had to beat them. Yeah. 11 wins in a row to end that season. BYU finished 7th in the final AP poll, which up to that point was the highest ranking in BYU history at any point. It put BYU on the radar so they could do what they did in 1984. They weren't like an entirely unknown commodity in 1984. Right. But they were... Uh, they were out of the polls. They were on the ranked, but people knew who they were because of Steve Young. Auburn in 2011, was it, was the first team to go unranked to national champ since BYU in 84. How about that? And Steve did something against Utah that was significant, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. The BYU quarterback record holder for touchdown passes against Utah is Steve Young with six. Yep. I assume that was in 83. I never looked, but yeah. Steve Young beat UCLA in the Rose Bowl. I mean, this guy had some big-time wins for BYU. And, of course, his finale against Missouri. The greatest BYU quarterback in the USFL by far. He's still getting paid for that. Pretty sure he's still getting a paycheck (laughs) for that. All right, down to the top two. And here's the thing. This will be debated by everybody. It's Detmer versus McMahon. It's Detmer versus McMahon. Who's one, who's two? Number two. Ty Detmer. Okay, I know both arguments for this, but we came to this conclusion, and, and let's discuss. This is BYU's only Heisman Trophy winner, led NCAA college football history for a long time, 15,000 career passing yards. That was number one for, 16, uh, for 13 years. His 121 touchdowns was number one in NCAA history for 
16 seasons. Wow. Okay, so forever, right? Why is he? Why is he number two? We'll get to that in a moment. But Ty, you could argue Ty's the goat here at quarterback. I I totally get if it. If somebody said well, Ty Detmer was number one, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I, okay. We had to go two and one, so we weren't going to go one A and one B. Okay? He owns the greatest win in BYU football history, yes, beating absolutely. Miami, the number one team, who finished number three that year. Be- best stats, best win, you know. Amazing. But the number one quarterback in BYU history is Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon. McMahon did what no one will ever do again. He set 75 NCAA records. At one point in 1980, he had broken 71 NCAA records in a season. 71. First 4,000-yard passer in NCAA history, 47 touchdowns. That didn't include the bowl game, by the way, which they do now. It would have been 5,000 yards and 51 touchdowns. And that was in about three-quarters of play generally. It wasn't even four quarters. Okay. 12 and 1 that season. 12 and 1 that season in 1980, his junior year. Of course, the greatest play in BYU football history in the Miracle Bowl. Top five, five in Heisman voting, not once, but twice. He is the greatest quarterback in BYU history, fifth pick. I just don't think we'll see anybody like McMahon do what they did when they did it. Fifth pick overall in the NFL draft, as Jerem just mentioned. He got BYU over the hump of having not won a bowl game. And more than that, they took down mighty SMU. And then he came back the the next year and BYU beat Washington State. Helped out by a pick six from one Tom Holmo. Yes, and this was the year after 79. You lose Mark Wilson, first rounder. You bring in this redshirt quarterback. Yeah, others considered. Shidey, Sark, Hill, Doman, Carter, Walsh, Federick. Think about that. Gary Shidey, Steve Sarkeesian, Taysom Hill, Brandon Doman, Virgil Carter, John Walsh. This Did is, not get in. It's QBU. There's no school with a greater history of quarterbacks than BYU. Like, this is my favorite topic. It's incredible. We've ever discussed. Incredible. BYU quarterbacks are so good. Seven days away. Seven days away. A syncopation a syncopation in there? Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. Six days away. Two, uh, two BYU Hall of Famers. Robbie Bosco, Mark Wilson. Not bad. Their numbers are retired. Luke Staley. Their numbers are retired. They retired those three uh, at the same time. At Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Yes, they did. Stay up to date with The Countdown. Every weekday on BYU Sports Nation, on BYU TV, and BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Aleva, first things first, essentially three weeks into fall camp, what's the best thing you've seen from BYU football in the first three weeks? The best thing is the energy, and uh, one of the best things that's, that I've seen off of the practice and, off, and not on the field is team chemistry. Something that we've been able to focus on this, this fall camp is the brotherhood and, and actually trying to emphasize being a family rather than just having it as a team break. What made you notice that the energy was up? What, what was the giveaway on that? Well, it goes back, it goes back and forth. Um, usually our defense just kicks our butt every single day, but it's been good for the offense to be able to compete and having screams and hoorahs kind of thing from both sidelines, having coaches run off up and down the field when, when plays are made. So that's kind of the energy I would like to see. Speaking of screams and hoorahs, I saw a video surface today on Instagram of Jeff Grimes catching a punt above his head. Um, can you confirm that this is not doctored video and that actually happened? Oh, yeah, and it, it was not scripted at all. He didn't know it was coming, so it was good for him to react and just go out there and make a play. Uh, we thought he was going to drop it because he misjudged the ball, kind of tailed on him a little bit, but we can tell he still has a little bit of athleticism because he was able to reach over his head, and we thought he was going to hurt himself, so it was good that he caught it. <laughs> what does it do for you when you see your offensive coordinator of all people go out and do that in front of the team? Oh, it pumps us up. A guy, his, a guy at his age, a guy who 
we, he's, he's, he's old. So he, he can't move as well as he used to. So a guy for, to make a play on a ball like that, punts are very hard to catch. So him to, to be able to catch it, it, it was very funny. How have things changed under him from year one to year two in terms of scheme and philosophy and what you want to accomplish specifically as an offense? I feel like he's been able to, been able to establish more of his offense and being able to go with plays and stick with plays and be able to run them from different variations. And something that helps with our offense is it makes us confident because we know what he's going to run. And we, we, have an, we have an understanding of, of the offense that he's going to establish in us, and it, it helps us to play faster when we know our assignments. Your wide receivers coach, Fessy Satake, told me that he's – Getting what he expected out of the core five, the three seniors, yourself, Micah Simon, Talon Shumway, and then throw in Gunnar Romney and Dax Milne, who are a little bit younger. But then he mentioned Keanu Hill and said he's kind of been a surprise this camp. Um, in your mind, who's been the surprise wide receiver out of the group, whether it's one of you core five or maybe it's Keanu? Yeah, I knew Keanu was going to be good from when he came in. He's someone that played very high, high-level high football in high school. But the two guys that have surprised me and, and really worked their way to where they are now is Braden Cosper and Tevita Ico. And so those are two guys that are expected to see some time this year, and those guys are expected to um, to get a role this year as well. And it's good for us as the returning, returning players because they push us and they make us better. So it's good for the whole group in general. When I say Utah a week from Thursday, what goes through your mind? I'm excited. Um, when I when it when it goes what goes through my mind is the the stadium atmosphere. Um, seeing all the red on the opposing side, um, all the adrenaline rushing and the heartbeat, and and everyone knows that when we step on the field, it's a whole different environment. It's exciting to think about that. It's, in, it's just in ten days, nine days now. If you can't today is over. Wide receiver Alevahipa with us on BYU Sports Nation. What does this team need to shore up over the next? a little bit more than a week before game day. What, what's what's one thing you really feel like you need to get better at in time for the game? Uh, we need to make sure that we're consistent. Uh, we cannot make any mistakes going to this game. And we need to make sure that we're finishing through all the plays and making sure we're finishing through all periods in practice and every play in general, making sure that we're emphasizing a finish. Um, we all know how that game ended last year, and we want to make sure that we're going to emphasize a finish not only for this first game, but the whole, whole rest of the season. So that's one thing we need to finish is consistency, consistency and finish. From what you can see on film, how is Utah's defense last year different compared to what they're going to put on the field this year? They're not much different. Um, they have the same. About they have a lot of returning starters. Um, they lost two linebackers, but they're able to fill those with Francis Bernard and, and and another guy named Lloyd. But um, otherwise, that they're still a very good defense all around. They have a very experienced secondary. They have a good linebacker core and a very good D line. So that's something that we have to look forward to. Is that we need to make sure that we match their intensity. How do you match their intensity? What does that mean? Explain the specifics of that. It, it kind of goes down to a one-on-one thing. We need to make sure that we're beating the guy over us. Um, we're, we're, in order for us to succeed as a whole offense, we need to make sure that we're doing our 111 and making sure that whoever is over us, that we're making sure that we're doing our job and handling our one-on-ones. Is your nickname still a levitate, or has it changed to something else? It still comes out sometimes. I haven't heard it as much, but some people still call it. They, they say more as a joke now than the actual meaning, but... Uh, because the person who came up with it was Squally, so he left. So there's no one really to hold it down anymore. But it's, it still goes around sometimes. My girlfriend even called me. It just She thinks she's funny, so it's funny. Okay, it'll stay with the levitate until I hear something different. What's been your favorite moment of fall camp this fall? It's always being with the guys. Um, you know, people may not like it. They're here all day. They're spending 8 to 8 with the with the same faces all day with the same coaches but that's definitely the part that i enjoy the most is being able to see these guys every day um and and i, I don't complain, complain about it at all uh, I, I like seeing these guys whether it's at practice in the treatment room or we're eating dinner together and, and the activities that we're having it's it's nice getting to know just everyone on the team and not just people that you normally hang out with 
How has Zach Wilson progressed as he has started kind of uncertain of what his arm was going to be at the beginning of camp, coming through summer to the point he is now? So what kind of progression have you seen? Uh, he surprised a lot of people. He even surprised himself when he first came out on the first day of practice. Um, his, his progression, his treatment, and his rehab is, is, has grown rapidly over fall camp, especially from the offseason until now. He wasn't, he wasn't too sure about it, but after that first day, he, he had all the confidence in the world in his arm, and, and he creates confidence for our receivers as well, knowing that he's going to have the ball in the right place. What's he like as a leader in the pocket, in practice, when you're offense on defense? He's, he's definitely one of our leaders and, and a guy that's well-respected on the field. Off the field, I wouldn't say much because everyone just kind of looks at him and, and laughs at the things he says. But on the field, I'm glad it's a lot different because he's well-respected and, and we know that he's definitely a leader for this team. Why is it different off the field? Because he's the diva. He knows that. Every, everyone on the team knows he's the diva. He's, he's a drama queen. He's listening to Chris Brown all day. He's fixing his hair. He's ladies' man. The, you know, this, this is typical stereotype for quarterback. Zach fits them all. So. He's the diva, and he's listening to Chris Brown. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then you obviously give him a hard time about this. Oh, yeah. I'm not the only one. The linemen give him a hard time. The D-line gives him a hard time. All the, Everyone on the receiver core, they give him a hard time because time they understand that he, he is that diva off the field. But it's funny how much he, he switches. He, he has a switch, and when he's on the field, he's not that diva anymore. He's, he's definitely our leader on the field, too. Who is the leader of the wide receivers group? It's definitely uh, there's three seniors in our room. Me, Talon, and Mike, we've definitely been able to kind of grow into that into that uh, that role as receivers. It's kind of different for me and Talon because we don't talk much. We're more on the quiet side, but being able to, to kind of fit into that role, and it, it doesn't also help the people that we're, we're leading, but also helps ourselves too. A levitate. And I heard someone say if you're in trouble – not only can you help up, but just throw it up to Talon Shumway. Are you on board for that as well? Oh, yeah. Talon, he's always going to come down with the ball. He, we always make fun of him because he's, he's the old guy in the room. Uh, he's the old guy on the team. Uh, he's been here for a while, but we know that his body has a little more left in him, and he's going to be able to come down with any ball that comes his way. Aleva, thanks for the time, man. Great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Aleva Hifo. Calling out his diva quarterback. Hey, by the way, Chris Brown's playing in Salt Lake Friday. Yes, he is. Will Zach Wilson? I, I'm sure be Zach. There? Oh, Zach's going to be at the concert. Come on. The whole Wilson he's clan is going to be at the concert. Here's the other thing he left out, and he's great at golf. Yeah. Because all the quarterbacks are good. It's crazy. It's part of being a quarterback. You, yeah. have, you have to play golf yeah. and be good at it. Exactly. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. It is the final 10-10, which means college football is very close. Let's do this. Ten lists in ten weeks. It's Jeremy, 10-10. The final one is the top ten offensive players BYU will play in 2019. Number ten, Aaron Fuller, wide receiver, Washington. The 5'11", 183-pounder led the Huskies with 58 catches, 874 yards, and four scores seven years ago. He put up a hundy in four games, notably against Auburn, Utah, BYU, and UCLA. Top 10 in the Pac-12 in receiving yards and yards per catch. The question now is, who's going to be throwing this guy the ball? Because apparently it's not a clear-cut scenario in the Northwest. Yeah, wait a minute. Because one of those guys is on this list. Number nine, Amon Ra St. Brown, wide receiver, USC. This uniquely named receiver had 60 catches, 750 yards, and three scores as a freshman. In his third college game at Texas, who apparently is back, 9 for 167. Also had 10 for 94 against playoff team Notre Dame to finish the year. This is going to be a real challenge, probably for Diane Gawoloku, but at least BYU gets USC in Provo. We'll see what they can muster up in the pass game in week three. And there are three really good USC receivers. 
Number eight, Jawan Washington, running back, San Diego State. He was one yard shy of 1,000 yards despite missing four games last season due to a broken clavicle. Five yards carried, 10 rush TDs, all in nine games. San Diego State has a good running back. Also, the sun will come up tomorrow at some point. Yeah. And football happens in nine days. Well, it happens this weekend. I'm excited. Number seven, Antonio Gandy-Golden, wide receiver. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. He has back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Last year, he put up 245 at New Mexico, 205 at UMass. Second most yards per game among returning pass catchers on BYU's schedule. So between those two games, he had as many receiving yards as BYU's leading receiver all season, essentially. Almost, yeah. It was close. Boy. That's great. Number six, Jacob Eason, quarterback, Washington, who Jake Heaps just told us the last segment. Hasn't won the starting job yet. I have met number six because he's six foot six. Returning home to Seattle, he was a five-star high school standout. Started 16 games in two seasons at Georgia. Lost the job to Jake Fromm after an injury, but he had a two touchdown to uh, two to one touchdown interception ratio as a freshman. He redshirted last year. He has two years to play too. I think he'll be the guy, and I think he'll be really good. Okay, I would think he's going to be the starter too, but it's just weird that it's not determined yet. Yeah. The top quarterback on this list, however, is your boy, Jordan Love, Utah State. Love was incredible last season. 3,500 passing yards, 32 TDs, 64% completion rate, seven rushing touchdowns, four TDs uh, against BYU last year, seven 300-yard passing games. But it won't be the same this year, in my opinion. One starter back on O, and he knew Staff and Logan. It'll just be different. He caught a lot of people by surprise last year. He's not going to catch anybody by surprise this year. BYU will scheme differently. He doesn't have all of the offensive weapons around him. He's a great player, but it's going to be a different story this year. Number four, Michael Pittman Jr., wide receiver at USC. Pittman led the Trojans 758 yards, six touchdowns, led the Pac-12 with 18.5 yards per catch, top 10 in the other two categories. Went over 103 of the last five games, including six for 155 and two scores against Colorado in October. If you're not scared of this guy, you should be. Of all of all the opponents that USC will face this year, he's going to do damage against the best of the best. Number three, Zach Moss running back, Utah. Moss rushed for nearly 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, despite missing four games, 6.1 yards a pop. If Moss didn't have a serious knee injury in November, he might have gone pro. Now he has a broken right hand. We'll see how that affects him next week. Uh, ESPN listed their top running backs of college football yesterday. Zach Moss came in at number one with a rating of 96. Is he the best running back in the country? I don't think so, but I think he's top 10. I think he's really good. Number two. Trey Smith, tackle, Tennessee. What offensive lineman made a list? 6'6", 320. Could be the first offensive lineman selected in the NFL draft next year. However, he has, he's had two issues with blood clots in his lungs, which is scary. He's missed some games when healthy. Uh, he's one of the best in the country, and the NFL draft boards reflect that. Last week, Jeremy Pruitt said there is a plan to give Smith an opportunity to possibly play again. So up in the air as to whether he's going to play. But if he plays, he's awesome. But will he catch the ball is the real question. Also, is this the Orlando Pace list? And the top offensive player the Cougars will face this season is Trey Adams. Left tackle! It is the Orlando Washington. Pace list. CBS Sports has him as the second highest rated O-lineman heading into next year's NFL draft. 6'8", 306. He's been injured the last two seasons, missing a combined 16 games. 32 career starts, 2016 All-American as a sophomore when the Huskies went to the college football playoff. Again, if he plays and is healthy, he's the best player on the field. Wow. Two tackles. I'm breaking it down here. Come on. This is a deep dive into the offensive line. And that concludes... 
the top 10 offensive players, and 10 in 10 for 2019. You know who told me he loves 10 in 10? Danny Jones. BYU's punter. He's oh, like, Danny, where's the punter list? Danny, and Danny I said, Jones. I'm not sure it's going to uh, happen. The punter. Speaking of punters, did you see former Utah punter Mitch Wisnowski yeah. uh, basically decapitate a guy on the field last night? I did. I did. <laughs> this isn't Utah Sports Nation. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio. 